and we're to come to God's holy hill, to Mount Sinai. Uh, that psalm is a reflection of the fact that throughout the Old Testament, God typically met people on the top of mountains. So Mount Sinai being the most famous, uh, which is where we're going now in Exodus 20, uh, but later in Mount Jerusalem where the temple was built. Who may, who may go up to the top of the mountain and meet God? As we come to Exodus, we've seen that uh, in Exodus 19, that the people can't draw near. God is too holy and we, the people, are too sinful. And so God uses a mediator, Moses, who goes up and down, up and down between the people and God. And Moses is a picture of Jesus, the God who came down and became flesh, the man who went up. So in God, in Christ, we can draw near to God, even in his holiness. And as we do say, what we're going to look at today is what he asks of us. Okay, so as those who've been saved, what does he ask of us? And we're going to read from Exodus 20. So we're at Mount Sinai. And God is going to speak. I'll read the first, the first 21 verses uh, this morning. Exodus 20. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that's in heaven above or that's in the earth beneath or that's in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the, fa the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning, and the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear. For God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Father in heaven, these people heard your voice and trembled. Uh, we confess, we take your word so lightly and so we pray now that as we come to it again, as we hear your word uh, no less clearly, no less truly than those gathered around Mount Sinai some 
uh, three, four thousand years ago. Uh, we pray that we would tremble before it and receive it as the voice of the Lord our God. But that we would do so confident in Christ our mediator. Pour your spirit on your people, we pray. In his name. Amen. Sorry, let me sort of, all sorts of gadgets up in now. Uh, the Ten Commandments. We've been going through Exodus uh, over the last over the last year or so, we had a big pause through Matthew's Gospel, and now we come to perhaps one of the most famous corners of the Old Testament, these Ten Commandments, that even though most people on the street can no longer name, that they have at least heard of. I wonder what you feel at the thought of spending the next ten weeks working through the Commandments, in fact, eleven weeks, because this morning is going to be basically introductory. Uh, there are purple passages of scripture, aren't there? Gospel passages uh, that, that, that we look forward to. Psalm 23, okay, the green passages, gospel promises. But it could be that the Ten Commandments fill us with a bit of trepidation. Okay, this is going to be 11 weeks of being told off. 11 weeks of being reminded how terrible I am, what a rubbish Christian I am, and how I need to try harder. Perhaps if you're you're new to Christianity, new to the church, wouldn't call yourself yet a Christian, this is exactly what you expected. Turn up to church, get some hopefully friendly people on the door, uh, a cup of coffee, a little bit of nice singing, and then boom, a guy stands up and tells you all the things you're not doing and to try harder. What I want to see this morning is that actually the the Ten Commandments are, are, are nothing of the sort. I want to suggest four postures, four ways we're meant to approach the commandments. At the same time, uh, try and correct four lies, four mistakes we make about them. So let's just dive in and get going. Uh, The first way we need to approach the commandments is in grace. And if you want the posture, we're we're approaching grace on eagle's wings. I look down at verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Where do the Ten Commandments come in the story of Exodus? Well, they come, to make a very obvious point, in chapter 20, not in chapter 1. Do you remember how the book began? It's quite a few months ago now, so perhaps not. The the, the book began with the people of Israel, God's people, being in slavery in Egypt. Pharaoh is making them build his his cities and his pyramids and goodness knows what else. He gives them no no rest. Uh, They are slaving away and dying and crying out. It is not at that point that God pops up amongst the slave cities and says, here we go. Here are 10 rules, 10 things I want you to do. And if you do them, well, then I'll rescue you. No, God comes and purely out of his grace, rescues the people, sets them free. They do nothing. Remember the story? Who, who, Who brings the plagues? To the people of Israel, call down locusts and frogs. To the people of Israel, blot out the the sun. To the people of Israel, cause the final judgment, the death of the firstborn. No, nothing. As the people of Israel escape, is it them who cleverly part the Red Sea or build a bridge over it or swim heroically through the currents? No, God does it all. Look back at at chapter 19, this introduction uh, to to the scene at Sinai. Verse 4. 
You yourselves, God says, have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. That is the salvation that God gives to his people. That the salvation isn't found in keeping the Ten Commandments. They come after the rescue. The rescue is entirely gracious. Perhaps you've seen the Lord of the Rings films or read the books. You know, at the end, the huge eagles come flying in and Frodo and whatever the other one's called um, fly off out of, out of Mordor. Okay, what are they doing? They're just sitting there on these giant eagles. Okay, it's a classic kind of like, where do they come from? But anyway, they do nothing, do they? They just sit there. I hate flying. Some of you know this. I absolutely hate airplanes. I do not understand how they work. Coker, who's like an engineer of some sort, tried to explain it to me. Still got no idea. Absolutely, I do not understand. But even I know that as I sit on a plane, there's no point in me flapping my arms to help. Okay, the plane is doing all the work. That is what is going on in the Exodus. God has done all the rescuing. It is a gracious rescue. He does not pop up and say to Moses in his rights, if you score seven out of ten of these, I'll let you out. Similarly to in, in the gospel. Perhaps you're not a Christian. And you want to come in. You're wondering, how can I possibly come to God? How can I possibly be welcomed into heaven and eternal life? He does not say to you this morning, try harder and come back to me once you've cleaned yourself up. He says you are totally dirty. There is nothing you can do. You wouldn't be able to keep one of these for one hour, one minute wholeheartedly. And neither has anyone else. But, but so great is my love that I've sent my son into the world to keep them for you. And then to die to pay the penalty you should be paying. I want to rescue you. So come, not trying to save yourself, but come empty-handed, say, I cannot save myself, rescue me. And the life and the death of the Lord Jesus have done everything for you. All you need to do is come. Say, yes, that is the salvation I want. In Jesus' name, forgive me and let me live now for you. The commandments are to be approached in grace on eagles' wings, not as a means of salvation. Uh, that's the great lie we need to uh, push out of our skulls, that it's obeying the law that saves us, or even that it's obeying the law that, if you like, lets God keep forgiving us. You see, sometimes we can get into our heads that God forgives sinners, those outside the church, the tax collectors, the prostitutes. And then you become a Christian and you've got a, a slate wiped clean. Now it's up to you. Now it's over to you. The grace is gone. The grace is about being saved. But from now on, it's about your efforts. But no. No. Uh, the Ten Commandments are all, about, are all about our sanctification, to use the Bible's language, all about growing in holiness. They're not about our justification. Your justification in Scripture is all about that question, how can God, on the last day when you face him, okay, when you come to your own Mount Sinai, if you like, when you meet this God who is a consuming fire, how can God declare, yes, you are right with me? rather than condemn you to the flames. The question of your justification is that law court question. And the amazing answer of the Bible is that God has sent his son in order that you might be clothed in him, as we thought about earlier in the service. He has kept the law for you, kept the commandments for you. 
And once you put your trust in him, you are fully justified. You can't be more or less justified. It doesn't change. Uh, The person sat next to you is not more justified or less justified than you are. It is a status. You are righteous. You're not guilty, but you're righteous in God's sight, purely because of the work of Christ. The, The commandments, in terms of how they come to us then after that, are about our sanctification, our growing in holiness. I'm going to come back to kind of what we do with them a little bit later. But it's important we understand their place, not as the means of saving us or even the means that, that we, sort of we achieve in order to stay Christian all on our own. Rather, they are the path we walk as we grow in holiness. And, and the real problem for many of us as Christians comes in that we switch around in our heads justification and sanctification in other words we think that my status before god my acceptance with god is based on how holy i am today or how holy i was last night this morning and it's so hard for us to get into our heads that we are justified we're declared righteous no condemnation all in jesus it's all outside of us and therefore god always will welcome us will always smile on us I love um, Martin Luther, a great reformer, you know, began the Reformation, threw off the shackles of the the Catholic Church and the way that there was so much corruption uh, of the gospel message. Uh, He said this, speaking about the fact that we've got peace with God now, that we are justified in Christ. He said this, the words are simple, but during temptation to be convinced in our hearts that we have forgiveness of sins and peace with God by grace alone is the hardest thing. He's one of the greatest theologians of the church, one of the bravest men in church history. What's the hardest thing, Luther? Standing up to the Pope, risking execution, writing commentaries in Hebrew. On... Nope. The hardest thing, he says, is just to believe we're saved by grace alone and kept by grace alone. Remember the hymn? It is grace that brought me safe thus far and grace will lead me home. The Ten Commandments are not the, the small print, the catch once you come in. We approach them in grace on eagle's wings. Uh, but secondly, we, we approach them in wonder. Okay, if you like, with, with arms raised high, we approach them in wonder. The temptation we now to rush to the rules. Okay, I get it, they're not how I'm saved. But, but now tell me what I've got to do. But there's more to the commandments, the Ten Commandments. Uh, the Ten Commandments are revelation, even before they're rules. In other words, they are telling us what God is like. Verse 2 again, I am the Lord. Therefore, have no other gods, and off we go. If you want to know what I am like, listen to this, says God. Uh, my only kind of half proper job other than ministry, I was working in a school uh, teaching very posh kids to understand Latin. Um, so I've done my time on the mean streets out in Norfolk. Uh, and um, within that school, I, you know, I'd go in various classrooms because you know, I never had my own. And each teacher had their own rules. Each, each class teacher had their own, their own rules. And I remember one of them, uh, in fact, he was the Latin master, very strict. Okay, the rules were, you know, stand up when an adult comes into the room, don't slouch in your chair, only speak when you're spoken to. Uh, another classroom, uh, it was all about kind of, uh, the rules were things like, you know, we encourage each other on our learning journey. Okay. We help one another when we're in trouble. 
at another classroom was the drama teacher called Benny. Hey, there are no rules here. Don't call me Mr. Jones, call me Benny. Um, you know, this is to like 11 year olds, total chaos. Anyway, you know, wear what you like. If you don't want to come, that's fine. Um, now, the different rules revealed something about the character of the teachers. They don't mess with the Latin master, the other one, not me. Um, the, the, sort of the second one, the English woman was just very cuddly and let's all get on and learn together. And Benny, just total hippie. Okay, the rules reveal the character. And, and, and that's what's going on with these Ten Commandments too. As we read through the commandments, we're meant to think, oh, okay, this is what God is like. This is what he cares about. This is the kind of God he is. I am the Lord, your God. This is what life is going to look like in my house. Now, we'll pick this theme up as we go through them. But for example, the fourth commandment, the Sabbath. Okay, we, we naturally approach it thinking, oh, right, okay. Now you're going to tell me all the things I'm not allowed to do on a Sunday. Okay, and all the questions come to mind. Am I allowed to watch the Six Nations? Am I allowed to do sport? Am I allowed to do park run? Am I allowed to... And oh, goodness. But, but actually, the Sabbath is a gift. Okay, these guys have been slaves for generations in Egypt. No days off. No holidays. Just work. And if you're too tired to work, then die and someone else will work. So to come to a God who says, do you know what? A whole day a week, rest. That is a gift, not a burden. It tells you something about the character of God, his care for his people. Or just to dip outside the commandments um, into the, the other laws that are given. Uh, just flick over to, to chapter 22 uh, and verse uh, 26. Chapter 22 and verse 26. Uh, if you ever take your neighbor's cloak in pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down, for that is his only covering, and it is his cloak for his body. In what else shall he sleep? Okay, so that, there's the rule. You borrow a cloak as a sort of pledge, you know, I'm going to keep your cloak whilst you go and work, and I'll give it back to you at the end of the day, whatever it may be. Excuse me. Why, do you see? If he cries to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. In other words, why are you meant to be compassionate to someone who is in your service or owes you money or is less than you? That, you know? well, because God is compassionate. The law reveals his character. And again, that's seen supremely in Jesus. When God comes to earth, the God-man, we see a man who lives out these commandments perfectly and therefore also is showing us what the character of God is like. And there is a lie here. Uh, the lie is that, that, that keeping God's law, trying to obey God's law, makes you somehow less human and a bad witness, in fact. Have you ever sort of begun to think, well, look, my, my friends are so far away from, from the gospel. Okay? They have so little understanding that actually what's really going to help is if I can be as like them as possible, but just do the kind of believe Jesus died for my sins and rose again stuff. But other than that, I'll be as similar to the world, close to the world as I can possibly get. That's going to be how I win them. I want to show them that Christians are fun. Hey, Christians drink too. Hey, Christians do all the same things that you do. It's just that also we kind of believe this little thing about a guy dying and rising again, and therefore we can go to heaven. And we begin to think that, that if we grow in holiness... So if we started taking these commandments seriously, it would be off-putting to friends. It would push them away. But, but who is the holiest man who's ever lived? Okay, Sunday school question, isn't it, Jesus? 
He was, he was, he was, he was sinless right down to, to the, the depths of his being. Not even the beginning of a thought was sinful, let alone a word or an action. He was burningly pure. And yet who flocked to him? Sinners, prostitutes, tax collectors. Holiness is missional. It is evangelistic. It makes you more human, not less human. If you're in Exodus uh, uh, still, Exodus 19, the setup to the commandments. Again, look at, uh, we've just read verse 4 about being born on eagles' wings. Look at verse 5. Exodus 19, verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You're going to be a kingdom of priests. Priests are are go-betweens. There are all sorts of other things, but they're go-betweens. They represent God to the world. You, Israel, are meant to be like a city on a hill, to use Jesus' language about the church. You're meant to stand out and be different. In other words, you are going to represent me. So as you live out this holy life that I'm about to describe in the Ten Commandments, that the Gentile nations will see what I am like. In other words, the more like me you become, the better witness it'll be. The higher up the mountain you get, the stronger the missional impact, the evangelistic impact, not the less. We think we've got to keep away from God and try and be as worldly as possible, and that'll win people in. The whole thrust of Exodus, we we looked at this loads last year, the the, the whole thrust, time and time again, God says that he's going to rescue so that people might know that I am the Lord. It's all about revealing who he is. The first half of the book, getting the people out of Egypt, has shown his power, his might, his grace, The second half of the book, teaching his people how to live, is still about revealing who God is, but now he's going to reveal it through the lives of his people as they live holy lives. And exactly this language, being a kingdom of priests, is applied to us, the church, in the New Testament by uh, Peter and his letters, uh, amongst other things. What is it in in your own life? I, I don't know. Uh, almost every time I use any kind of cultural illustration, it is instantly out of date um, because I am just not up to date and cool. Uh, a few years ago, it, it was Game of Thrones. Okay, remember back in Derby, it was a big thing about Game of Thrones. And people say, look, you know, it's a TV show. If you don't know, it's a TV show, all sorts of sex and violence. And people say, look, you know, all my mates are into it, so I, I want to watch it. So that I, you know, and they say, I'm going to watch it because then I'll know what's going on. I can talk to them about it. And, uh, and it, honestly, really? You just want to watch it. Yeah, but I don't want to show that. There's no rule you can't watch. Well, of course there's no rule you can't watch Game of Thrones in the Bible. But it's not. God does not need you watching a semi-pornographic show to enable the mission of the church. Okay, it, we're just kidding ourselves. Now, you fill in the, the example for yourself. But so often we think the more worldly we get, the better our witness will be. As students, you've got the mission week coming up. What is the best three weeks preparation you can do before it kicks in? Grow in holiness. Pray that you'll be more different, weirder. A number of years ago, before the planted derby, I went to New York uh, to a little conference, very kindly funded by the church that I was assistant. And I'd never been to New York before. And I went with this guy from Derby, grown up in Derby, never left Derby, let alone left England. And we got to the airport, and I was collecting the bags on the carousel. Uh, and I turned around, and, and um, this friend who I won't name was just staring at another guy, just staring at him, just 
not unashamed, like a kid would stare at you. And this guy was, a, was an Orthodox Jew, okay, not my friend, the guy that he was staring at, my friend was staring at. You know, Orthodox Jews, he had the hat and the, the tassels and the dress and all this bit. And I, I eventually said, look, what, what, are you doing? what are you doing? And he's like, what? He's, I'm just looking at the street performer. This, this guy, I'd understand, we'd never seen an Orthodox Jew before. And the, the guy was dressed so differently, looked so strange to my mate from Derby, there are not many Orthodox Jews in Derby, that he assumed he was just like a street performer, you know, one of the statues, or, and so he was just staring at him. Now, what was going on there? That, that Jewish man was meticulously keeping all sorts of Old Testament laws about dress, and, and it made him look strange to Western eyes. We are meant to look that strange to the world around us, not because of the way we dress. There are no longer dress laws. We'll touch on that in a sec. But strange because of our holiness. Your housemates and family and friends are meant to say, your attitude to, 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 to sex, seventh commandment, adultery, it's so weird. But bizarrely, it's attractive. Your attitude to possessions, tenth commandment, coveting, it's so strange. It's weird. What are you on? But for some of them, it will be attractive. Holiness is missional. Hence, we're meant to be a city on a hill, salt and light, different. You're asked you to Sunday. What, are you, what do you mean? Why are you not working on a Sunday? You've got essays due tomorrow. It's odd, but it's attractive. No, I know not to all, not everybody comes in. But it is part of our mission, the city on a hill, the kingdom of priests, because our holiness reveals God's holiness. The law reveals what God is like. And so we can read the law, not just the Ten Commandments, actually, but any laws. And that is what you're like, arms raised in praise. Don't believe a lie that it makes you less human and less effective. Thirdly, we approach in humility on bended knee. First one, God spoke all these words. I am the Lord, your God. These people, the Israelites, belong to Yahweh, belong to God. Uh, they belong in two ways, actually. They were made, but they have been redeemed, they've been saved, they've been rescued. Francis Schaeffer, who uh, began the denomination we're, we're part of, American missionary from the, the mid-20th century, said that as we come to church, Christians ought to bow twice. Again, he wasn't meaning because of the building. Bow twice. We bow first as those who are created, or we bow in a second time as those who have been redeemed. You are twice owned. Just like the Israelites were. And so we are under authority. It is God who tells us how we should live, not us who decide what to do. We are owned. Someone has said, I have no idea who, but someone said that chapters 1 to 19 of Exodus are about getting God's people out of Egypt. And then chapters 20 through to the end are about getting Egypt out of God's people. See what they're saying? Rescued. But now we need to live not as slaves, not as those still under the domain of, in our case, Satan and sin and death, but those under the dominion, under the kingship, the lordship of Jesus. We do have a Lord. Your day is not your own. Your life is not your own. Your money is not your own. And there is a mindset change there, isn't there? Jesus is not just the get out of jail free card. Well, thank God he is that. But he is our Lord as well as our saviour. 
And so we're meant to get up and say, you are the Lord, our God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are the one who brought me out of slavery to sin and death and judgment. Lord Jesus, you are the one who died my death and lived my life. Holy Spirit, you are the one who's been poured out in order to bring me to life, bring me to the Father. Father, you are the one who has adopted me into your family. Now, how shall I live? And part of the answer comes in the Ten Commandments. Live like this. In other words, become humbly, bended knee. I do not know what's best for me. I do not know what's best for the world. But you have spoken. So let me listen. Uh, do you ever have that thing where uh, you come to a part of the Bible that's, that's pretty clear, you understand it perfectly well, but you just don't want to do it. I understand, I just don't like it. But that is not an okay attitude, is it? You ever said that? Uh, perhaps even in evangelism, we sometimes say, like, I, oh, I don't like this stuff either, but, you know, God does. That, that is not good. Firstly, it's besmirching God's character. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> if I'd been the Lord God of the universe, I would have done things more kindly, but we've got to put up with him. Okay, that, is, that is a terrible thing to say. And even, even just about our own behavior, we need to be honest, it is just pride on our behalf and we think we know better than God. Uh, Lord, I can see what you've said. It's not great, I'll do it because I have to because you're bigger than me. But it's not great, is it, Lord? Now, we all have those high attitudes. Okay? If we didn't have a rebellious heart against sin, we'd all just be perfect all the time. We're not. So we all do it. Some of us confess it with our lips and some of us don't, but we'll do it. But, but, but bending the knee to the Lord God is, is both about actually doing what he says, sure, but also praying that he would transform our hearts to love his law, to love walking in his ways. Forgive me when I think your law is wrong and I'm right. Your law is harsh and I am kind. The big lie here is that we don't have to obey God. Someone says, look, we're under grace now, not law. Romans 6 even says that. You are not under law, but grace. So what are you doing on a Sunday morning, John? You're getting up and preaching just about the commandments. Sounds very law again. Well, yes and no. Certainly we are not under law in one sense. Okay? That, that verse has a meaning. What does it mean that we're not under law? We're not under law as a way of getting saved. Okay, that first, whole first section that we talked about. We're carried graciously on eagles' wings to heaven. The law is not the way you get saved. It was never meant to be, actually. But the Israelites distorted it to be such. That's why Paul in Romans can say that the problem with Israel was they didn't pursue righteousness by faith, but as if it were based on works. It never was meant based on works, but the Pharisees twisted it to make it that way. So we're not under law in terms of getting saved, nor are we under the law in terms of we're not actually Old Testament Israelites. What is going on in, the, in this uh, passage in this whole section actually 19 through 24 is a covenant is being made covenant is the bible's word for the relationship between god and his people he makes one with adam in the garden he makes one with noah he makes one with abraham he makes another one now at, at mount sinai with israel uh, this is what's classically called the old covenant okay, later in the bible it gets called the old covenant now we're not part of that era we're people of the new covenant okay, jesus said remember his, his uh, the, the last supper this is my blood of the covenant okay we're going into the new covenant so in that sense, we're not receiving the Ten Commandments this morning from the hand of Moses. 
we'll see as we go through them, sometimes there are promises made. You know, um, basically, if you obey me, your crops will grow. Your enemies won't attack. Now, that's not true for us, okay? You might be a farmer, you might be very holy, and your crops might die. We're not, we're not under the old covenant. We're not a nation in that sense anymore. But we are still to obey. Obviously, we're to obey Jesus Lord. The idea that you don't have to obey any commandments whatsoever, forget the ten, just the idea that we're not under law but under grace means it doesn't matter how you live, do what you want. It's obviously nonsense, isn't it? Jesus gives enough commandments of his own, even before you get to the, the letters. But actually, the Ten Commandments have a special place in the Bible. Uh, they are what's called moral law. Uh, they're marked out even in the, in the text. Uh, these, notice, are spoken directly by God to the people. God spoke all these words, verse 20. Uh, later on, all the other laws about nodding prawns and what clothes you wear, they're all given to Moses up the mountain as a mediator. These ten are direct. Okay, the people hear the voice of God. Uh, these are written on tablets of stone by the finger of God. Not by Moses, but by God's finger. Uh, these are put in the Ark of the Covenant that lives in the, uh, the tabernacle, the temple, the center of God's um, palace on earth. Nothing else, just these ten. Uh, they're named, they're called the ten words. Ten commandments, we call them. They're marked out as different. Why? Because they represent the, the, the way of living as human beings that is the same from Genesis through to Revelation. There are plenty of laws given in the book of Exodus, given at Mount Sinai, and we'll come to them in time, goodness knows when, um, that are just for that era. Okay, they begin at Mount Sinai, and they end with the coming of Jesus. Into that category go things like what food you can eat. You might know that the Jewish people didn't eat pork, because God said not to, didn't eat prawns. They didn't weave together different materials in their clothing. But, but those laws, uh, those laws were, were only ever for that era. If you like, they're bracketed off by Moses and Jesus. One of the ways we know that is that nobody before Moses is told to obey them. Okay, you just don't get them in the book of Genesis or the first 19 chapters of Exodus. And after Jesus, we're told explicitly that a lot of them are gone. Yeah, Jesus says all foods are clean now uh, in Mark 7. But the Ten Commandments, no other gods before me, no images, don't bear my name in vain, Sabbath, honour your father and mother, no murder, no adultery, on we go. These are a summary of how we're always meant to live. Adam had to obey the Ten Commandments. Now they weren't sort of written down, as far as we know, in that form, were they? But just imagine Adam in the garden. Okay, Adam, Adam uh, murders Eve but he hasn't taken the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God turns up and says, how's it going? And Adam says, it's great. I haven't taken the fruit. And God says, where's Eve? And Adam says, oh, I killed her. Is God going to say, well, uh, yeah, fair, fair enough. I haven't given that commandment. No, of course not. These moral, this moral law is written on our hearts. Those of you in Sunday school this morning is what we talked about, natural law. It's written on our hearts. We all know it. You don't have to be a Christian to know it. It's just written on our heart. It's been part of creation. It's been part of what it means to be human. That's why the Ten Commandments are marked out in this particular covenant, because they transcend the whole Bible. That's why when you read Exodus, people get into trouble for doing these things. You know, Potiphar's wife is not meant to have an affair. She can't say, just a minute, we haven't had the adultery commandment yet. And so they stand for us today. That's why you'll find them in the New Testament. We'll see that as we go through. 
They are a good summary, not everything, but they are a good summary of how we're meant to live as those who've been saved. And it's why in Jeremiah 31, when this new covenant that we live under is promised, what does God say? Let me just read it. Jeremiah 31, God says this, this is the covenant I'll make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. This is the covenant you are living under this morning if you're a Christian. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be my God and they will be my people. The law is written on your heart by the Holy Spirit. What law? Think of those in Jeremiah's day, the Israelites in Jeremiah's day, listening. What law? The one about not eating prawns? No pork sandwiches for lunch? No. This moral law, what it means to be human made in the image of God. So come in humility to this law and walk in its, in its paths. And that's what we're going to finish with. Fourthly, finally, much more briefly. Come finally in freedom. Okay, come in freedom to it with confident stride. Verse 2 again. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. The law is not here to enslave you. The Ten Commandments are not now a new slavery. Right, I was working for Pharaoh. Now I'm stuck slaving for God. No, this is freedom. But freedom, rightly understood, is the freedom to live as you're meant to live. To be truly human. Uh, The lie here is that the law is a horrible burden. Okay, the small print in the bottom of the contract of the Christian life. Forgiveness is great. Mercy is great. Eternal life is great. Heaven is great. But living under the, living under the Ten Commandments is a horrible catch. No. The Apostle John in, in 1 John says this. Uh, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And how does he go on? And his commandments are not burdensome. Isn't that amazing thing? They're not burdensome, says John. I mean, the best illustration of this I've heard is, is from C.S. Lewis. Do you remember C.S. Lewis who wrote the Narnia books? Uh, he, he says it works a bit like this with the law. Imagine you're on a, on a, on a run, a cross-country run, and you, you, you get to kind of deep mud. Okay, you're going through the mud and the puddles, and you keep slipping and sliding, and, and you're really struggling. You can't go fast because you're going to wipe out and embarrass yourself. And then finally, you come through the mud, and you get to solid ground, a solid pavement, and then you can run. So the law is like that. It is the firm footing that shows us how we're meant to live. Ah, this is how life is meant to work. We're not yet at a stage as as Christians, although you're born again, you're not yet at a stage where just naturally you obey perfectly. You need guidance. Otherwise, there would be no New Testament. It'd just be, well, you're forgiven, the Holy Spirit is in you, you're going to be perfect now. That's what it'll be like in heaven, but it's not there yet. And so the law is that the firm footing, and that's why it's freeing. I've only had one pet in my life, which is a goldfish called Bubble. Oh, my sister had one called Sweet. At one point, I, know, I was little, it's a long time ago. <laughs> At one point, either Bubble or Squeak, I can't remember, um, who lived in a, a fish tank, um, Bubble got free. Freed himself from the fish tank, no idea how, and I don't know if it's a he or a her, don't know how you sex a fish, but let's say he. Um, he ended up in my mum's washing basket. Free from the constraints of the bowl. Free from the water. And it didn't go that well for Bubble. There is a, that to, to rebel against God does not bring life-giving freedom. It brings slavery and death. To walk in God's law is actually freeing. It takes the pressure off. How am I meant to live? Am I, what does he want from me? 
But it's also just how life works. So, as we head into the Ten Commandments over the next ten weeks now, come in grace. He has saved you on eagle's wings. Come in wonder. This is what your God is like. Come in humility, ready to change, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And come in confidence, uh, knowing this is the good way to live. Everything is a gift from the Lord God. Jesus fulfilled it and has poured his spirit on you so that you might follow in his footsteps. Let's pray that he works that in us over these next few weeks. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we praise you for that image of you carrying your people on eagle's wings. And we praise you that you have carried us out of death, destruction, sin, and judgment, and promised to carry us all the way home to heaven. And we come to you in grace today, knowing that we couldn't begin to keep even the first of these laws left our own desires. But we do ask that you pour your spirit upon us and make us a holy people that reflect your goodness I reflect your kindness, your greatness to the world around. And we ask, therefore, that we would be a kingdom of priests, a city on a hill, a light to the nations. Would would those outside see your goodness, even reflected in 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 the dirty mirrors that we are, and come and find salvation? Bless us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.